0: Hey guys, this is Major and Darshan. We're here with the Pharmacy Podcast with pharmacy tips you want to know about. Today we're talking about a three-part series, Is Amazon Your Next Pharmacy? Part 2, Types of Pharmacies. You're listening to the Gavel and Pestle Podcast with Darshan Kulkarni. The Gavel and Pestle Podcast with the law of the land intersects the business of Pharmacy.
1: Hey, this is Darshan. Just before uh, you listen to the podcast, make sure you remember, this is not legal advice. This is also not medical advice, and um, it's not construction advice, so don't take construction advice from me. Also, this does not create an attorney-client relationship, so don't be saying that I just gave you legal advice again. Talk to a lawyer who knows you, that can give you advice that's right for you. Thanks again. Keep listening. We'll talk soon. Yeah, Major, so so we're really trying to answer, and we're trying to get to the big one, which is, what is Amazon going to do? And everyone's trying to guess that piece, but what we're trying to talk about is before we get to the juicy bit of what is Amazon gonna do and what my best guess is, I think that we need to first discuss what are the other op- other options, what are the other opinions. Um, we talked a little bit in the last one in the last podcast about who the different players are. There's a whole contingent out there that's talking about well, how do we get into well, if if Amazon's gonna come in and they're gonna are they gonna displace pharmacists so we need to first discuss well what are the types of pharmacies out there what can Amazon do and for that we need to discuss the types of pharmacies so the first type of pharmacy I like to think about is your local mom-and- pop store it's it's your it's sort of like the cheers of your place everyone knows your name you walk in you know the pharmacist you've known that person for the last 30 years you probably went there to get your lollipops and now you're getting there going there to get your journal get your Old geriatric medication, and you've just known that person forever, uh, and that's that's a good thing. Um, they're very personal. They're they're locally owned. Uh, they may or may not belong to a GPO because they've just never cared about that, um, and and that's all well and good. There's that small hometown feel. The problem is because they're so small, they tend to lack clout with pairs. So if you're if a local CVS moves in, they often just sort of destroy those pharmacies because a lot of people simply want to go for a better price um, they often are running short of cash because it's it's a one man shop it's a two man shop uh, they tend to be men because they tend to be older uh, if, if it's a newer pharmacy that's small and locally owned from time to time uh, it may be a woman uh, but that's more rare than not uh, at least in my experience again I haven't looked at statistics mm-hmm. for that so um, Obviously, as the newer pharmacies, as I've mentioned before, um, women are now 70% of the profession, so there may be more of those. Um, the next piece to start thinking about are um, the large conglomerates. It's your uh, CVSs, your Rite-Aids, your Walgreens of the world. They tend to be centrally owned. Uh, they, are, they use what I think of as the Starbucks model, which means that one company owns all of them. Um, the big advantage is kind that— like a franchise? Uh, yeah, exactly, like a franchise. Um, they usually have your drugs in store, uh, in stock, because they just have the cash to do it. Um, obviously, it may not work in some states. In some states, pharmacies cannot be owned by people who are not pharmacists. Uh, but those are rare, but it does happen. So, obviously, a CVS or the like won't work in those situations. Um, some people believe that they tend to be more impersonal. And the reason they tend to be more impersonal is because they are owned by a big conglomerate. Uh, there's very little leeway that's given to the pharmacist. They may be run based on statistics and on analytics. And pharmacists often talk about how it's, for lack of a better term, soul-sucking. Um, I did work in a large conglomerate when I was starting. I didn't think it was soul-sucking. I actually quite enjoyed it. Uh, but I had really good customers. I had a really good manager. And those were, those were just things out there. Um, obviously, we had our days and we had our moments. But it was a good experience for me. Um, the the big exp- the big problem is considered to be that they're impersonal, uh, but they often have good clout. Um, you talk about the franchise model. Uh I, I don't like using the word franchise for, for Starbucks because franchise typically means um it's owned by a different person.
0: What, what do you mean by clout? You mentioned that with the small-town pharmacies, they don't really have that kind of clout, but then with the larger conglomerates that, that typically, like the Starbucks model that you referenced, like a CVS or a Rite Aid, they have more clout. What do you mean by that?
1: So, great
0: question. Um,
1: the the big problem that we think about is that... Um, well, number one, when you, we, we talked about these PBMs, right? We talked about this idea that... Um, these companies need to be able to negotiate better rates. That way the pharmacy can stay profitable because they can get better rates from pharmaceutical companies or from payers. If you're a single one-man shop, it's difficult for you to negotiate rates and re- negotiate reimbursement. And since you cannot do that, it becomes difficult for you as a small-town pharmacy owner to be able to uh, to sort of stay, stay alive, to survive. And that's the big problem. That's what I'm referring to when I think of cloud.
0: Uh, Today, we're talking about the, is Amazon your next pharmacy, three-part series. Today, we're on part two, types of pharmacies. Part one was your drug pipeline, Uh, but types of pharmacies, number one, small-town pharmacy, number two, the large conglomerate, uh, CVS, Rite Aid, more of a franchise-type model. Uh, Actually, no. Have we talked about franchise models, or was that just a conglomerate, Darjan? That was more of a conglomerate. We're gonna
1: talk about the franchise next, actually. Okay. So the first one is your Starbucks model, where Starbucks owns everyone. Well, mostly, Starbucks has a has a thing there. We'll discuss that in a different day. But uh, hmm? for the most part, it's owned by the same company, your Wawas of the world, if you will. Um, for those of you who are on the East Coast, um, on the, the there is the franchise model, which I think of as like the Dunkin' Donuts model, which is your your medicine shops of the world which is there's a central organization that essentially does a franchise. They'll set you up. They'll give you all the bits and pieces that you need. They'll advise you. Uh, they'll often have uh, centralized distribution advantages in there. Um, it's locally owned by the pharmacist, typically, that is helping you. So it's it's often personal. Uh, they give you help with the setup. Uh, they should be able to, able to theoretically uh, give you advantages of a centralized organization. Um, I have heard, I've never owned a medicine shop, I've never worked in a medicine shop, I've never worked in any other franchise model, I'd love to hear feedback, but um, the big arguments I've heard against it have been the franchise fees and whether or not, and again, I'm not talking about medicine shops specifically, I'm not talking about them at all necessarily, Um, but I've heard about the type of help they may or may not get. Um, So that gets difficult if you're trying to get into the franchise model. Some may say that the help that they get with setup, the uh, access to cloud, the access to some GPOs is is more than enough to offset that. Um, But that's just another model out there. Um, Then we got to the independent mail order. So you start off with this one-man shop in one place. You went out to one-man shops owned by a specific company or uh, controlled by a specific company or recommended by a specific company, then we're sort of getting to the, well, what if it's not in a locally o- local area? And that's what I think of as your independently owned mail order. So I used to work a long time ago for a company called accelerex uh, That would be an example of an independently owned mail order. Um, they had a niche, and we're not talking again. In no specific case, in any of these, are we talking about the companies. We're just using them as examples, and um, any comments we're making are not representative of those companies at all. So um, I don't. I want to be clear about that. Uh, but these organizations tend to be large, but not always. Uh, the big advantage you get is they'll be able to send you uh, more days' supply. So they might be able to send you like a ninety-day supply from a centralized location. Um, for your medications which is what a lot of people prefer the problem is that you'll often land up in a situation where I can get the 90 days but I'll get that in a week what do I do right now I need the medication right now I can't it's not like I can wait so that becomes a little bit more complicated for the mail orders Uh, the big advantages they tend to be cheaper Uh, an independently owned mail order may not have as much clout um, but that's sort of Mm -hmm. one of the things to think about Uh, these independently owned mail orders often get bought out, uh, but we can have that discussion another time. Um, and again, from a for a person who's used to going to your neighborhood pharmacy, talking to your neighborhood pharmacist, uh, this may feel odd because it's it's sort of impersonal. Um, and f- these types of pharmacies often try to counteract that by having in-person conversations. So it's something to think about uh, if you are trying to set up a new pharmacy. Is this the type of Type of formula, the type of uh, organization you want to set up. Um, Sometimes you might land up in a situation where these independently owned mail orders uh, it became a really popular uh, model. So companies um, start buying them up, or they start creating their own. So um, CVS Caremark is an example of that. They are they are an independent mail order. They are a mail order company, Mm. and they'll send out 90-day supplies from a centralized location. They'll still be cheaper, but they'll have the clout that an independent one might be missing. But again, um, they may be impersonal from the pharmacist standpoint who's working there. They may hate it because they feel like they're sort of a robot in a dispensing machine. So that Uh, gets problematic. In
0: case case you're just now starting to listen to this, uh, today we're talking about the types of pharmacies. Part two of a three-part series on Is Amazon Your Next Pharmacy? Part one was about your drug pipeline. I'm here with Darshan Khulkarni. And we just spoke about uh, the small town pharmacy, large conglomerate pharmacy, CVS Rite Aid, the franchise model, uh, like Medicine Shop, the independently owned mail order, and the mail order, uh, CVS Caremark.
1: Yeah. Again, we're just using examples. These are not obviously the ones we're picking on or anything like that. They, anything right. we say may not apply to them. Uh, we're just talking generalities. Um, so is this the all next of them piece or there, of think-
0: Are there any. How many more? Oh, there are several more. You say? Oh, really? Wow.
1: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the weird ones So most people think about These pharmacies being locally owned Or sort of people who are specializing in the pharmacy world One of the ones I like to think of is There's a model out there Where the manufacturer themselves The the ph- pharmacy pharmaceutical company manufacturer Themselves owns a pharmacy And there are a few examples of that Teva Which is a multi-billion dollar multi, Yeah, multi-billion dollar pharma company Has their own pharmacy And we'll put that in the show notes so you can link on it but um, right. they have their own pharmacy, so so there are
0: advantages to that because they so, avoid yeah, I'm, all the middlemen. I'm, I'm a bit surprised, like because it, it sounded like from the first five that we went over, that pretty much is the umbrella that everything else is kind of under. I, I wouldn't guess that there are outliers to that, like the manufacturers enter the pharmacy business. Um, are, are there any other kind of different scenarios like that that would cause that or, or, or a, a pharmacy would exist in that sort of realm? So, if I, if I understand your
1: question, Major, I think what you're saying is why, what, why would a manufacturer even enter the pharmacy world? Is that sort of a fair way to put that? Right. right. Absolutely. Well, a really good easin, reason is they can keep the cost low. So right now, we, in the last podcast we talked about the different players in the field. We talked about wholesalers, we talked about distributors, we talked about BBMs, we talked about health insurance companies. What if you could get rid of all of them and the, pharma- the, the pharmaceutical company directly sells to the patient? That's really what uh. these companies were aiming to do. So they get rid of all the middlemen and they the middle pay man. a lower price.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And if you're Teva, who's making generics, so you can really drop the price. So so that becomes an advantage. Those savings are often passed on directly to the patient. Uh, as we know, it hasn't been the most successful model because I guess people like talking to someone about for their medications. Um, and it often tends to be a direct cash deal, which sounds good in theory, but the problem is that, well, how do you handle it if it's not a generic company and no one wants to deal with 50 different pharmaceutical companies? I just want to go to one right. place and get my medication. Um, and move on with my own. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, and this can get more complicated when you're dealing with things like controlled substances. Um, But again, it's a model that exists. Um, Another one that's, again, weird, but um, not as weird. It's more in line with the first few. Is the specialty pharmacy model. Companies like Avella and even CVS. Um, And this is like a weird one. This is where you get the incredibly expensive drugs. So we're talking about drugs that are $70,000, $80,000 for a treatment. Uh, And that becomes expensive. Extremely expensive. You don't want that just sitting on a pharmacy shelf.
0: Uh, now I understand why a mom be- and pop. I understand why a mom and pop wouldn't have that because it's super expensive and it's it's something they would have to you know kind of plan for or budget for. And, but what about like why wouldn't a uh, like a larger conglomerate model ha- already have this in stock? So think about
1: it this way. So let's say I am a um, large company. I've now put $80,000 of drug that's for a single patient on my shelf. And the patient doesn't come in. Now I've got $80,000 sitting on my shelf that no one's using and buying. And I wasted that value of money. Now I could have 10 drugs like that. And it's simply not worth it. So what you do is you try to get patients into certain locations that you know that they're going to have to go to, so it helps with inventory
0: costs. Okay. So, they're not going to just stock an $80,000 medication because maybe somebody will come in and get it. That's not, some, that's, not, that's not a hit they're willing to take. They have to have that person in, in the shop, ready to go.
1: So, what you'll often do is, first of all, this patient will get registered, with that pharmacy, uh, or with that company, and the company and the pharma and the patient will decide where am I going to go to, and that becomes their pharmacy that they're going to get from, and um, and that's going to be a piece that people have to sort of. Especially pharmacy world is slightly different. Uh, the patients get a lot more oversight, and the patients get a lot more um, sort of handholding because they're such expensive drugs the adverse events are more closely monitored and conversations are more, more closely had. So that's sort of what you get for the specialty pharmacy model. Um, the, the thing is, it's so expensive and quite honestly quite profitable um, that companies are sort of, sort of starting to push back. And I know what with conversations with PBMs and the like that this is a model they want to target to clamp down on costs. Um, but at least for now the big advantage you have is that um, when you get into this model, you can make a lot more money. So until then, uh, it's been a very profitable model to get into. Um, And they only have fewer drugs that they sell. And the pharmacists uh, sort of talk about how they enjoy it because there's a lot more patient interaction. There's a lot more guiding. And they went to six years of pharmacy school, not to lick, stick, count, poor, but because they want to help people. But because it's such a... Um, niche industry, you really need to know someone to get into this world. Um, Not as a pharmacist necessarily, but also as a pharmacy owner. You can't just open up a a shop and say, um, I'm going to be a specialty pharmacy. You need to have those relationships built in. And all types of pharmacies are trying to get in. Not everyone succeeds. Um, So that's your specialty pharmacy model. The next one is your 503Bs. It's your compounding pharmacies. So people typically think of pharmacies being um, the the type of organization you go to and you pick up your medication. Uh, But think about it this way. These pharmacies are typically you come in with your prescription. You get the medication for that prescription. But what you might land up with is a scenario where you're making medications not for an individually identified patient, but for, say, people in a hospital. Of patients in a hospital because a hospital doesn't have certain drugs. You might land up in a scenario where um, You're trying to make medications for the 50 patients you typically see, but you don't know which individual patient it's for So that gets more complicated. So you're doing batch processing and if, when you're doing batching of the like you've got to be careful uh, Depending on the size of the batch depending on what you're making whether you're making it in anticipation of a prescription, etc but that can be quite profitable uh, but it, it's your companies like NECC and Farm Medium. Um There are, ver- there are, I believe, only 74 uh, 503B compounding uh, facilities. Uh, they're now called outsourcing facilities. You may need to get registered with the FDA. Uh, again, if you have questions here, feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to help. We do guide on these things. Um, but they tend not to be open door. And as we pointed out, they typically are B2B, but that's not always the case. Um, to sort of put something out there, uh, you don't always need to be a pure B two B. There is a way to be a five hundred three A and a five hundred three B facility, so that's another model that's pursued. Um, another model, another two models, the last two models, if you will, are the infusion center pharmacies. Companies like Alterna. Again, they're not typically open door. Um, you get some. Um, they they may be making IV medications and maybe supplying doctor's offices. They're typically, like we said, B2B, business to business. Um, That's another model out there. Um, Then there are pharmacies like Omnicare that actually own like TPN pharmacies. It's a a type of infusion uh, infusion pharmacy. They'll only make uh, total peripheral nutrition and they'll supply to hospitals. uh, And that's sort of what they do. Um, There are some other models where they'll do things like making a pharmacy and, and the pharmacist will work like overnight and they'll fill prescriptions for... Sorry, they'll, they'll verify prescriptions for hospitals. Uh, so the mm-hmm. hospitals themselves may not have need for staffing at that time because there's just f- too few uh, patients there. But in the world of telepharmacy, it may make sense to say, okay, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to have two pharmacists here who work overnight, and they're going to serve 15 hospitals. So patients are wow. still getting medication safely, but the idea would be... Um, instead of these different hospitals all trying to staff it and sort of not having enough work there. If you have enough pharmacies, uh, enough hospitals join in, it makes sense from a telepharmacy type model. And there are a few others, but these are the big 10, 12 types to get into. If you're just so Major, now listening. Do you listening, want to quickly sum up what we we're thinking?
0: Yeah, sure. If you're just now listening, uh, we are today talking about the types of pharmacies Currently, we're on part two of a three-part series, Is Amazon Your Next Pharmacy? Part one was about your drug pipeline. Today, uh, the different types of pharmacies. Uh, first, we spoke about the small-town pharmacy, then the large conglomerate, then the franchise model. Then you have the independently-owned mail order, like, is uh, it XLR Acc- Acceler prescription? XLRX? Uh, then you have the Acceler-X. mail order. XLRX. Uh, then you have the mail order, the CVS Caremark. Then you have the manufacturer, uh, when the manufacturer enters the pharmacy. Then the specialty pharmacies, uh, the five hundred three B compounding pharmacy, the infusion center pharmacy, and is there are there any other types of pharmacies? I, th- I think they cover the, what we've discussed here. Are the
1: major ones? There are all there are many, many, many other versions that I've personally worked at as well. Uh, things like I, I've had a company that I worked at called Apria that used to compound just nebulizations. So there there are different ways of setting it up. Uh, There are some pharmacies that focus on just diabetics and handling and taking care of the needs of diabetics. So, there are a million different ways, vet pharmacies, if you will. Um, So, a million other ways, but we were just talking about the major ones, if you will.
0: Okay. So, if you have any questions about how your pharmacy falls into any of these categories or what your pharmacy is or any questions about your pharmacy in general, please reach out to Darshan Kulkarni. Uh, at Cool Law Firm on Twitter or coolcarnylawfirm.com. That's K U L K A R N I lawfirm.com. And you could also reach me at 215 948
1: 8183. That's 215 948 8183. And the big part, major, that we haven't really talked about is what is Amazon going to do? Is Amazon going to come in as one of these types of pharmacies? Are they going to disrupt the current pharmacy model? So stay tuned but- for that
0: part a really good question. We went over the different types of pharmacies. Now, which, where, where does Amazon fall in all of this? So that'll be in part three. I'll you soon.
1: Hey, this is Darshan. Thanks for listening in. I really want to talk to you. Reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at, at FDA Lawyers. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Darshan Kukarney. And if you want to find me any other way, well, start with Twitter, but you can always email me as well. Darshan at conformlaw.com. Thanks for listening in. I'm really excited to hear from you.